0: to Charity Chat, I'm your host Freya Samuelson. In today's episode I talk with Liz Gardner, CEO at Protect, the UK's whistleblowing charity. I've wanted to do this episode for a while after reading an article written by Liz, as I really didn't know enough about whistleblowing or what the process from start to finish may look like, so I thought this may be a useful episode for others in our sector too. Liz not only walks us through the stages of what whistleblowing may look like, But also we cover how whistleblowing may affect the individual and the organisation and how Protect can help. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by a platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good is a fundraising platform helping businesses raise funds for charities through their sales. The platform makes the legal agreement needed for businesses to fundraise from sales quick and simple, saving charities time and resource and enabling them to raise more unrestricted income. Pop to www.workforgood.co.uk to learn more and book a free demo. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, Liz. Thank you so much for coming on to Charity Chat today and to talk us, to us all about Protect and what you do in whistleblowing. I uh, just wanted to start with saying a bit about who you are, uh, what your organisation does and what you do.
1: Oh cool. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Freya, and thank you very much for inviting me. So um, I'm the chief executive of Protect um, and we're the UK's whistleblowing charity. Um, and what we do is uh We're celebrating our 30th anniversary, actually, this year, Um, and we provide sort of three key uh, functions. The, The sort of beating heart of the charity is our free confidential legal advice line, and we help around two and a half to three thousand whistleblowers every year to raise their concerns effectively and with least risk to them. Uh, So what we can do is we can provide them with advice about their employment rights, if they have them, and we can talk about who has and who doesn't have rights in the charity sector later on. Um, But we also look at what the concerns are and how they might raise them, whether it's internally to their employer or whether they want to take that to the regulator or to an MP or sometimes to the press. So... We provide advice to whistleblowers, that's the first bit of the charity. The second thing we do is we also support employers, including lots of charities, uh, with training and consultancy, helping them to develop um, effective whistleblowing arrangements and safe workplace cultures, because we know that it's not just about the speaking up that's important, but getting organizations to listen to what whistleblowers are saying and to investigate their concerns and act on them is absolutely vital. And the third thing we do is we uh, do research and policy and campaigning. So we uh, conduct research on different sectors, what's going on in whistleblowing, and we campaign for reform because we want to see whistleblowing arrangements in every charity and every employer um, across the country. And we want to see broader scope of protection of whistleblowing and more effective arrangements um, because, you know, whistleblowing is good for everyone. It's good for organisations because they can stop harm early. Mm-hmm. It's good if we have effective arrangements so that people know that they can speak up safely. And ultimately, whistleblowing is about raising concerns in the public interest, so we all
0: benefit from good whistleblowing. I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that I kind of didn't understand previously was that whistleblowing isn't just one of those big, massive, you know, huge expo- expose. There's quite a big variety of things that Uh, come under the whistleblowing kind of genre I guess and I wonder if you could talk about kind of the big and the small and how they differ
1: yes absolutely I think you know we have a definition of whistleblowing and there isn't really a, a, a legal definition but our definition is that it's about a worker who's raising concerns about wrongdoing risk or malpractice that affects others with someone in authority, and that can be internally and or externally. So let's just unpack that a little bit. So the legal protection is for workers. Uh, It's not somebody, just a general member of the public, but anybody in the workplace we think should be called uh, potentially a whistleblower. And what they're doing is they're raising concerns about something that's going wrong or malpractice, but it could also be a risk. So not just, a, and it doesn't have to be a really serious risk, but it could be something that they're worried that is likely to happen. And so raising a concern um, in the right place at the right time might actually stop that risk ever going any further if the organisation deals with it and nobody else outside ever hears anything about it because that's good practice. Um, The crucial thing about whistleblowing is it's something that affects other people. It's not just about your individual employment contract. That's better dealt with usually through grievances, but it's uh, it's about these kind of public interest concerns. um, But they don't have to be, you know, great huge um, you know the whole public doesn't have to be affected it can be a group of people it could even be a group of people within the workplace so when we're talking about things like toxic workplace environments You know, the only people who might be affected are the people who are working in quite a small charity, but it might have a public interest because um, the person who's doing the uh, bullying is perhaps a very senior person with a very important role in that charity. Or because that workplace, you know, the misconduct is, is impacting on how the beneficiaries are receiving services. Um, so uh, that's a very important element. But you're absolutely right. It can be very small things from, you know, a minor um, problem with uh, uh, with an invoice that doesn't look quite right, that you just, you know, you don't pay that invoice because it's not right and you sort it out, to major financial crisis. It can be a small thing about uh, somebody not feeding somebody the right um. Uh, food because they're allergic in a, in a care home which is just a you know it's a it's a mistake it can be put right quickly to to absolutely terrible safeguarding issues so whistleblowing that's what makes my job so interesting um, and the people on the advice line never know what's going to come next um, because we talk to people across all sectors and across all of those kind of different concerns that can come with a whistleblowing. so it can be crime it can be health and safety it can be damage to the environment but whistleblowing also covers breaches of any legal obligations, so equality issues, um, all sorts can come up on the advice line. Um, but it, it can be a small wrongdoing or it can be major international crisis. Um, we see it all.
0: Obviously, As you say, you get all these different types of things coming through advice line. But what are the most common issues that you come across at Protect?
1: Well, about a third of our calls. Let's just focus down on on the kind of issues that we get in the charity sector, first of all. Um, And and I think it's not uncommon for them um, to be similar across other areas as well. But in the charity sector, the big concerns are around what we call working practices, And that's about the governance of a charity that might be going wrong, um, and increasingly about bullying and harassment. Um, And that's a really interesting uh, subject that's sort of seen a lot of um, increase in the kind of concerns that might be raised as whistleblowing following things like the Me Too movement, um, Black Lives Matters, and so on. We've actually seen a big increase in the number of concerns we see around bullying and harassment. Um, And it's good to know that the Charity Commission has recently clarified its guidance uh, confirming that they expect charities who have employees particularly to have whistleblowing policies and clear procedures about bullying and harassment. So that's one big area. Um, in the charity sector, the next big group is around ethical concerns so about staff conduct, staff competence, quite often a failure to protect confidential data. Um, the next one's financial mis- mispractice. So fraudulent transactions, theft, misuse of charity funds. And finally, another big area for us will be safeguarding. Um, and particularly, and that's a crucial one in the charity sector. That can be from um, concerns about a lack of training or criminal record checks that haven't been taken um, properly. And it can range to the actual abuse of a child or a vulnerable adult in a charity setting.
0: Yeah, is there some... Pretty big issues, absolutely. And as yeah, as you're saying, kind of um safeguarding issues, it kind of leads on to my next big question, which is for me, the biggest whistleblowing case that really made me realize just how important it was, made me realize, oh, this is a really important part for charities, especially, was the uncovering of the Oxfam sexual exploitation scandal back in 2018, um, when Helen Evans, who was the whistleblower, the then global head of safeguarding um, basically made everyone aware that this was going on. But what I kind of didn't really think about at the time was more than that story, how that impacts the whistleblower themselves, the organisation and the sector. I wondered what what would be the kind of thing that someone, a whistleblower, would experience themselves after blowing the whistle? And what would the organisation or sector, how would it impact them as well?
1: Yes, I think you're right. Actually, we tend to focus on a story leading up to, and a big expose, and as you say, in Helen's case, she uncovered um serious sexual sexual exploitation, um the sort of sex for aid scandal that was happening in Haiti and other places, in the aftermath of a hurricane, and it's an appalling appalling. Uh, Story, but we don't often look at what happens next. Um, And we worked with uh, a producer, Taz Brooker, who's just put out a film about the aftermath of whistleblowing. Uh, It's called When We Speak, and it includes Helen Evans as one of her key examples. And sadly, like Helen, around 65% of the whistleblowers who contact our advice line say they suffer some form of detriment uh, when they've blown the whistle. And that might be that they're bullied or they're ostracised. It might be that they suddenly find themselves um, facing performance management. um, And it's a lonely and and isolating journey for them if they're not being listened to by their employer. Um, We would absolutely encourage anyone who's, considering blowing the whistle get advice before you start because we might be able to help you frame your concerns in a way to minimize the damage to you and maximize the chances of your getting your concerns heard but in extreme cases whistleblowers do find themselves sacked or that their relationship with the employer breaks down to such the extent that they feel they have to move on um, and sometimes the um, impact on them goes on for a very long time so the interesting thing about Taz's film is that she does follow three women whistleblowers um, and asks them you know what happened next Um, and all three of them had to had to move home Um, you know many found different jobs um, and some whistleblowers do tell us that they'll never work in in that sector again it's not uncommon in very serious cases for them to have um, post-traumatic stress disorder and other mental health problems um, and while there are remedies for whistleblowers, and I don't want people to go away thinking this is all disastrous, there is a law that protects whistleblowers. Um, you can um, bring a claim in the tribunal um, if you are suffering detriment or if you've been dismissed, if you want to work at a within the legal framework. Uh, that again is not always the right route for everyone, but because that can come with stress and risk and costs and work as well. Um, Helen's story, though, as you rightly say, isn't just about her, but what happened to the employer. Um, she was very much a reluctant whistleblower because she uh, tried to raise her concerns internally and she took them to her regulator, the Charity Commission, for in And she talks in the film and, and elsewhere about how worried she was about the impact of her raising concerns might have had on the charity that she loved. You know, she knew that Oxfam did some brilliant work um, and she knew that if she went externally and told people what was going on, that could damage um, the charity. And ultimately, uh, she felt she had to blow the whistle when the story started em- emerging in the press. Um, and the impact on Oxfam, when it came out was huge, you know, massive loss of public confidence, the withdrawal of public funds and government funds, and it's taken them very many years to rebuild their reputation. So I think one of the key takeaways for anyone who's running a charity, it's so much better. You know, It's in your interest to listen to a investigate the concerns, brushing them under the carpet or shooting the messenger, um, as too often happens, often comes back um, and affects the organisation as well.
0: Yeah. I, I worked in an industrial development charity, and when that happened, it didn't just affect Oxfam, the whole of the, the sector, Took a real. We need to treat this so much more. Everyone gets safeguarding training now. Even if I would, you wouldn't come into contact with someone that you supported. Um, so I think it's been a brilliant shake-up to see it, make everyone realise like we have a very important role here, and it can't there can't be any holes for yeah errors
1: to happen. That's right. And I think you know the Charity Commission also has, has changed how it works. Um, one of the things that we provide and protect is a sort of triage service. So anybody. Who wants to go to their regulator with a, um, with a concern which they think might be of interest to the charity commission because they can't get it raised internally or they've tried and their employer's not interested or they're or they or they're frightened to raise it internally, um, they can come to us and, and the charity commission uh, encourages people to come to us first and we can talk to them about you know this is the kind of concern that yes absolutely charity commission would be interested in or You can tell them about it, but it doesn't really fall within their risk, uh, you know, areas of key risk. So they probably wouldn't be able to investigate it. um, But here are some other routes you can go down and so forth. Or indeed, actually, that's something that's much better raised through a grievance procedure. Now, we're completely independent of the Charity Commission. So if you come to us, we never pass on your information to the Charity Commission, but we can help people decide whether that's the right way to go, and that's a change that they made following, um, you know, the very difficult uh, scandals that uh, that have affected the sector. Um, you know, starting with the Oxfam one and so forth. But there isn't any rules that say that uh, every charity must have a whistleblowing um, policy. I mean, the Charity Commission encourages it. But unfortunately, in this country, all the the only law that there is, is around providing a remedy for whistleblowers when things go horribly wrong. And a protect one of the things we want to see is many more employers having big obligations to listen to whistleblowers, because I think that would make such a difference.
0: Yes, absolutely. And do you think... I'm not sure if you know this, but in the charity sector, do you think there is more appetite for that than maybe other sectors?
1: I think, yeah, I do think the charity sector is on the whole. Uh, and we did a little bit of research with um, some charities. We, One of the things we do, as I said, is we provide consultancy and training. And one of the products that we offer is a benchmark tool so people can sort of test how their whistleblowing arrangements are against good practice both with, within their sector and elsewhere. And um, we were really pleased that most charities that we dealt with, and okay, they're probably the larger ones, and probably the ones that we're in touch with are already thinking about whistleblowing, but they had good, you know, they scored well on the governance side. They were less good at testing their staff awareness and of training all their line managers um, in whistleblowing and and, uh, particularly people who have key roles in the organisation on how to respond to whistleblowing. So I think there's, you know, areas for improvement in the charity sector, but I think there's a good appetite and, as I say, it helps that the charity commission sort of encourages people to put in place certainly safeguarding um, policies and procedures, but also whistleblowing.
0: So in the nitty gritty of what it is that someone can do, um, if someone is feeling, I mean, someone might be listening now and thinking, oh, this is something I probably need to raise. If they are feeling concerned about something at work, whether it's big or small issue, what is the process they should go through if they're thinking this is an issue? Do they? Yeah. How do they? That. Yeah, well,
1: in good organisations uh, where you're feeling safe and you've got a good relationship with your line manager, that might be the first step that you would take. You know, you'd say to somebody in authority, I've got a concern, and spell it out, you know, this is what I'm worried about, and this is why I think it affects the organisation. Um, if you're not happy going to your line manager, um, you know, a key thing would be that charities should offer a range of whistleblowing channels. Um, so you might have. Um, a whistleblowing uh, telephone line or you might have a whistleblowing policy that says if you're not comfortable going to your line manager here are the other people that you could go to in the organisation it might be the chief executive it might be somebody who's on the board Um, in good practice uh, is that the response would be thank you very much for raising that your name will be kept confidential we won't share that on except on a need to know basis We'll tell you what the next steps will be in terms of whether we're going to investigate this and how, and when we can feedback to you. Um, we may not be able to feedback everything that happens as a result of this, but we'll tell you as much as we can. Uh, that's when things go well. But if anybody's not sure or is not comfortable and doesn't feel that their organisation is necessarily going to, you know, respond positively, come and have a chat with us at Protect. Uh, we always discuss with the callers, you know, what the risks might be to them. Um, when they raise their concerns because unfortunately whistleblowing often means that you're conveying bad or difficult news to your manager sometimes you're pointing out that some individual is doing something wrong and um, we're not all good recipients of bad news Um, as I said it's unlawful to treat a whistleblower who falls within the definition of a worker badly or to dismiss them but this does happen so get some advice quickly give our advice line a call or contact us on our uh, web form. Uh, there's lots of advice and information on the website. If you're not sure whether your concern might fall into a whistleblowing um, concern, so we're here to help you. If you're not sure whether or how to raise that concern, come talk to us.
0: Perfect. And once they have raised a concern, is what can they expect? The kind of next steps to happen if they say so they wanted to stay anonymous or things get in trouble, what, yeah. What, yes, I mean, that it? is a very big
1: concern for whistleblowers that they will, you know, that their organisation won't keep their name confidential. Um, and I think that's a really important, you know, say that up front, you know, I do, I don't want to be, you know, I do want my name to be protected. And, and indeed, in some cases, um, if an organisation didn't respect that confidentiality, that could be a detriment to the whistleblower and they would have a, a remedy for the driving. But that's... Um, that's that's uh, that's a, that's an important um, point for the whistleblower. Um, in, in as I said, in good practice, they should you should be told uh, that the organisation will look into your concern, and and you should be given some feedback on what the organisation does. Now, if you're not happy at that point. Um, you might choose to say, well, actually, you know, I'm not content with the organisation's uh, response to this. They're not dealing with something that's uh, a serious concern that's affecting our beneficiaries or the wider public. I want to take this further. And you might then uh, choose to go to a regulator. And there are a number of people, um, number of bodies in the UK that are known as prescribed persons uh, for whistleblowing purposes and the charity commission is clearly one of them but if you had a concern about data protection it might be better that you went to the information commissioner if you had a concern about health and safety it may be that we, we would refer you to uh, the health and safety executive or so on. so again if you think your organization isn't dealing with a concern that again is something that protect can help with we can help you identify the next step, um, and that might be going to a regulator. Sometimes it's going to your MP, and as we've talked about Helen Evans, sometimes the only way to get the concerns actually addressed is going to the press. And there are various risks that come with with uh, with with each, each of those routes, and it's best to get advice before you do so.
0: So it, I think probably a lot of people in the charity sector are very loyal to their charity. So as you said there about going to the media, would that be a very last a last resort if someone was worried oh I don't want my charity to get bad publicity I just want this to be sorted is it unlikely that it would be shared in the media or yeah I mean I
1: think I think that the vast majority of whistleblowing is happening up and down the country quietly successfully day in day out people are raising concerns the organization takes them seriously it gets addressed we don't hear about those we only ever hear about the big disasters the scandals that uh when things go really seriously wrong but unfortunately with most scandals there was somebody inside the organization who knew what was going on and they were either too frightened to speak up or they didn't know who to speak up to or they spoke up and they were ignored so um you know the history of whistleblowing is that, uh, you know, when it works, it's brilliant. It gives the organisation an opportunity to put things right quickly, to stop small risks becoming big risks. But on the other hand, the ones that we read about in the press do tend to be when things have gone disastrously wrong. And we absolutely understand that in the charity sector particularly, you have a very um, deep engagement often with the organisation that you're working with. You don't want it to get into trouble you don't want it to be um you know its reputation to be damaged and so raising concerns externally will probably be a a last resort but it's also about that public interest and most of the whistleblowers that we speak to say well I couldn't not raise this concern mm. because I was so personally you know stressed and eaten up by mm-hmm. it and it's uh it's that it's that kind of um feeling that you you can't let this one you can't leave this alone it's so important and yeah. at those points uh you know again come and get some advice because not all the press is the same there are some journalists that absolutely will treat this um carefully Will do the investigation with you will work carefully with the whistleblower and sometimes even manage to keep the whistleblower's name confidential and it as well um but not all journalists are the same
0: oh, that's really interesting yeah oh well a lot for someone to think about if they are thinking something right now. Um, and if they, if someone does have a concern, is there how can they contact you or get in yeah. touch? What's the best way?
1: Okay, well, we're open five days a week. Uh, if I'm at Protect, our phone number for our free confidential legal advice line is 0203 117 2520. Or you can email us and we have a contact form that's available on our website, which is www.protect-advice.org.uk. And if you go onto the advice section of the website, you'll see there's lots of information about what whistleblowing is, what the various routes are um, and and how you can safely raise your concerns. But uh, we're here to help anybody in any sector. Um, charity sector is one of the biggest sectors that we hear from. Uh, we have about four, four or 500 calls from that sector every year. Uh, wow. So our, our advisors are really expert in this very niche area of employment law um, and the regulatory framework that can help people safely raise those concerns. You know, if you're somebody who's listening to this and you run a charity and you don't know what your whistleblowing arrangements are, and you want to help, you know, to be the best in the in the sector, come and talk to our business support side as well, because we can we're there to help people on both sides of the of that um, of that uh, field. So get in touch with Protect. We're, we're here to help. And, and uh, thank you so much, Freya, for inviting me to join you today.
0: No, thank you so so much for all your time. And that, yeah, I hope someone finds this very useful when they're listening. A big thank you to Liz for talking us through whistleblowing and covering both the big and the small. It doesn't really surprise me that the charity sector is one of the biggest sectors they hear from. We're all supporting marginalised or vulnerable people in some way and that comes with a huge responsibility to get that right. But I also hope it shows how as charity professionals we're always working for what is right no matter what the cost. I hope you shouldn't have to blow the whistle ever but hopefully after listening to Liz you feel a little more informed should it ever come to it. So thank you again for getting this far. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. Please do like and subscribe to the podcast so you can never miss an episode, plus share with any colleagues or friends who may be interested. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, work for good work for good is a fundraising platform helping businesses raise funds for charities through their sales the platform makes the legal agreement needed for businesses to fundraise from sales quick and simple, saving charities time and resource and enabling them to raise more unrestricted income. Pop to www.workforgood.co.uk to learn more and book a free demo. I'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Aksumet for our beautiful website, check it out at charitychat.org.uk and Forrester Falls for playing throughout the show and for playing us out now. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.